Hey church, thanks for joining us online. We're glad that you're connecting with us, especially during this time. If you are new to MRCC online, uh, we just wanna ask you to text MRCC to 94000. And if you happen to be in one of our online interactive gatherings, uh, feel free, there's a little button in the chat that you can click to get connected with us. We just wanna make sure that we're able to connect with you and get you connected with what's going on here at MRCC. And with services finally resuming, we're so excited to be able to come back together even though it's a limited capacity uh, what that means is that we're going to discontinue our fellowship walks but we're going to also ask that you would sign up every single week just so that we know each week who's able to come and fill those spaces and just know that as soon as you hit the submit button you are scheduled to attend there's no further confirmation needed we just want you to know and we want you to feel welcome to be here and as needed we've talked about even adding other services if we need to so that's why we ask for your phone number just in case we need to contact you but as soon as you hit the submit button just know you are scheduled to attend we love that you're joining us we're excited to be able to join together we're excited to worship our god together either online or right here in person as we move forward during this journey would you join with us worship god let's glorify him together today amen Hello church, welcome to MRCC Online today. We are so happy that you gathered with us. You know, our God's presence is available to us now wherever we are. So let's gather together as one church body, one family, and praise him for all he is. We worship you, Lord. What a time we need your presence. Yes, we need you, Lord. Yes, we praise you. Give him glory today. I give you glory for all you've brought me through. Yes. And now I'm ready for whatever you want to do. That's right. I'm moving forward to follow after you. And now I'm ready for whatever.
faith is enough. Your grace is enough. You're so faithful, Lord. So we believe in a breakthrough. We believe in a miracle. We call. God, how we need you in your presence. We choose to praise you this time, through all time. You are worthy. We praise you for your worthy. We stand in praise to you, God. Say, I count, I count on one thing. The same God that never fails will not fail me now. Nothing's out. 
our trust in you. Father, we proclaim your glory. We recognize you as Savior, our precious, precious Savior. What a friend we have in you. Church, let us worship him, for he walks with us. Everything. 
Savior, we give all our hearts. To the Savior, we give all this praise. Lord, what more can we offer you? We position ourselves in this posture of praise, Father. You call us to give more, to experience the true value of life, to surrender everything to you. So, Father, in this time where we walk with fear and anxiety, discouragement, God, let us surrender it all to you. Father, let us experience the glory of your presence. We thank you for this time where we can worship you. So as your sons and daughters, we give you everything. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. Thank you so much for worshiping this amazing God with us today. Well, good morning, friends, and welcome. I'm so glad that you could join with us today. I'm so glad that we're taking steps forward as a church and as a country in recovering from all this stuff. This Sunday, we're actually able to meet in person as well as online. And uh, as I stand here this morning, the sanctuary's all prepared for that. And we just, we rejoice in that. And we thank God for that reality. And, I want to encourage you as we continue this journey to remember that God's Word tells us, Romans chapter 8, verse 28, that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. That's us. And He wants us to understand that even in the midst of this difficult time, He's at work. In fact, it was in a difficult time very much like we're experiencing for Israel that God gave his great promise, Jeremiah 29, 11. He says, I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you hope and a future, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. It was in the context of that journey that God gave that promise. And in the same way, the Holy Spirit speaks that to us as well. Let me encourage you that as we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, just like Jesus said, he will lead us through. All these things that we need will be provided for. So it's great to see you this morning. Thank you, Pastor Weston and the worship team for, for leading us in worship. Our spirits need it and they thrive when we discipline ourselves to worship. And in fact, we're going to talk about uh, that dynamic a little bit this morning. We're continuing our journey together in Hebrews. We're in chapter 4. If you want to grab your Bible and turn there. And, and while you're doing that, we're going to be working from verse 14 on. While you're doing that, let me ask you this. What are your weaknesses? Uh, all of us have them. Uh, all of us have different ones. What are your weaknesses? Most of the time we try to hide them, but we know they're there. Some of us aren't good with words and some of us can't shut up. Some of us struggle with being self-disciplined and others are so self-disciplined that we make everybody around us crazy with our OCD. 
Some of us are bad at math. Some of us are bad at music. Some of us are bad at driving. Some of us have cats. We all have weaknesses that we struggle with, that we wrestle with. I, I have a weakness for mini mart food. Uh, something's wrong with me because when I walk in there and see that rack full of uh, corn dogs and, and spicy jalapeno hot dogs and, and chicken bits and all that kind of stuff, I'm not repelled like my wife is. I'm drawn to those things. I have a weakness for mini mart food. What are your weaknesses? Some of our weaknesses are cute and endearing. Uh, Rhonda thinks it's hilarious that I have a great fear of holding babies. It just scares me to death uh, when somebody wants to hand me a newborn baby in the hospital. And she thinks that's funny. Some of our weaknesses are, are cute and endearing, but others, others aren't. They leave trails of pain and misery in our lives. God calls that kind of weakness sin, and it leads to wrecked marriages and broken families. It leads to grieving and hurting and abused people who have to pay the price and bear the consequences of their weaknesses, of their sin, or of somebody else's weaknesses and sin. The worst effect of our sins is that they disconnect us from God. And it's because of that this morning that the writer of Hebrews wants to talk to us about what happens on the inside of us and how Jesus works on the inside of us. We've been learning from Hebrews that, that we are all uh, full of ideas about God that we got from all sorts of places, from our culture, maybe from some of our personal heroes, from the internet, country western songs, movies. We're all full of ideas about God. And the writer of Hebrews, remember, is saying that we must allow our ideas about God to be changed by Jesus, that that's what he comes to do, to mature those ideas, to perfect those ideas, to reveal the whole truth about who God is. The Jews in Jesus' day thought that uh, their background of ideas about God was the last word. And the writer of Hebrews is coming to say, no, Jesus is the last word about who God is. And that what we believe about God is the most powerful force in our lives. And so we must let Jesus change our ideas about God. And the writer of Hebrews has that in mind here in chapter 4, specifically in this way. Let me ask you a question this morning. How do you think God feels about your weaknesses? How do you believe God feels about your weaknesses and your sins? It's with that thought in mind that the Bible speaks to us, beginning with verse 14 of chapter 4 of Hebrews. Let's read together. The scripture says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith in him that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, and yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace, God's throne of grace, with confidence, so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us 
in our time of need. Let's pause for a moment and, and understand what God's Word is saying to us here. The Bible says, first of all, that we have a great high priest, Jesus, the Son of God. A high priest is someone who represented the people to God. The writer of Hebrews is speaking from that Jewish context. He's speaking to other Jews, so he frames the picture this way. He says, we have a great high priest who represents us to God. That's what Jesus does. He speaks on our behalf. If he is your Savior then he speaks to the Father on your behalf. He intercedes for you. And the first thing that uh, Hebrews wants us to understand here in chapter 4 is that we have someone like that. I remember when I was in college, uh, you know, uh, studying, and, and of course we didn't have much money, and you're looking for the best possible college job that you can have, and the best one you could get uh, where we were living in Kirkland, Washington, was to work for UPS on the night shift, because you could work a four-hour shift, and you would get uh, full benefits. But the problem was you couldn't get hired to work at that UPS en route center unless somebody who was already working there recommended you. There was no resume process. There was no outside hiring. You had to be directly referred by somebody who was already working there. Well, I was fortunate in that I had a great friend who was already working there. And I said to him, hey, Vaughn, man, I'd love to, to get that job and be able to provide that insurance for my family as well as, you know, uh, uh, you know, get paid for the job, have it be a night shift so I can go to class. And Vaughn went to the supervisor and spoke to him on my behalf. And because of that, I was able to get hired and get that job. There was only one way to get it, and that's from the inside. The Bible is saying that Jesus does that for us. He speaks to God from the inside. He speaks to God as a son speaks to his father. And he does that on our behalf. And this idea of an inside is why the Bible says that Jesus, our high priest, has gone through the heavens on our behalf. Now let's understand something here. The word heavens means three different things in the original Greek language, depending on context. It can mean simply the high atmosphere, or it can mean the stars and the, kind of the ceiling of what we see. But the third meaning of the phrase, the heavens, and the one being used in this case, is that it refers to, hear me now, the invisible reality behind what we perceive. The Bible has a word for this place, calls it the spiritual realms or the realms of the spirit. And the scripture is saying that it is in that invisible reality that Jesus does his ministry on our behalf. The writer of Hebrews is saying that Jesus has achieved something in the invisible reality beyond what you and I can see now. Now, let me pause for a moment. You and I must understand that every visible thing that we perceive is an expression of invisible things. Your health, if you have it, is because of your physiology. Your behavior is because of your heart and your mind and how they are relating to one another. Your attitude day to day and week to week is an expression of your spirit. You get the idea. We are all products of the invisible. You want to understand that in order to grasp what the writer of Hebrews is teaching us. Jesus works in that invisible reality that produces all the visible ones. Uh, you know, if I can just illustrate in a silly way, I wake up in the middle of the night, it's pitch black, I can't see anything, but I wake up because I can hear my wife muttering angry things in the bathroom. Uh, 
and I wonder what's going on because it's dark and I can't see, but then I realize that I forgot to put the toilet seat down and now I understand what's going on. The invisible becomes apparent. But in a much more serious way, the heavens in this passage refers to that invisible reality. In fact, it is the place where God dwells. And a little later in Hebrews, this whole idea is going to be taken to the next level. In chapters 8 through 10, he's going to talk about the fact that the tabernacle, where the high priest does his ministry, is a picture of God's heart. Is a picture of his father heart. And that Jesus is the visible expression of that invisible reality. This is key to understand because when we do, we grasp what he has done, is doing on our behalf, and how we access the power that flows from it. You know, I remember when our son was in middle school uh, many years ago, and he got in trouble once at school. And uh, I had to have a conference with him and the principal and his teacher. And, and I remember going to that conference feeling two things as a father. On the one hand, feeling that my son needed to change his behavior in this particular way with what had happened. But on the other hand, feeling that I wanted to rescue him from this and grow him past this. I went with both of those feelings. The Bible says that God's heart is like that. He wants to be just and the one who justifies, Romans 3.26. And what the writer of Hebrews is going to tell us is that Jesus is the visible expression of God's desire to redeem. That he goes through the heavens, the secret, invisible places of the heart of God and ministers on our behalf. Church, understand something. It is in these invisible places where all the power is. There are invisible realities in back of everything you and me have ever known or experienced. Physics teachers know this. Molecular biologists know this. Doctors and engineers and mechanics and wise counselors know it. And you and me are headed for a permanent encounter with those invisible realities. And Jesus operates in those places. Jesus ministers on our behalf in those places. God sees those invisible realities all the time. He, as the scripture says, is always looking on the heart. And the scripture is saying here that Jesus tackles our situation as sinful, struggling human beings in the invisible realities where the physical realities come from. You know, if I can look at this from another angle, the Pharisees in Jesus' day were always fixating on the outside, not the invisible reality. So when Simon saw the woman washing Jesus' feet with her hair, all he saw was her history. But Jesus saw her future, what was invisible in that moment. Or when that elderly widow put a few pennies in the offering, those who were watching from the outside thought it was irrelevant and almost meaningless. Jesus saw the greatness of her heart instead of the smallness of her two pennies. Or when Peter dramatically betrayed Jesus with a denial of him to his face. Jesus saw the beginning of Peter's calling, not the end. You see, God sees the invisible and Jesus operates on our behalf in the invisible. Let me challenge you. Do you ever allow yourself to see the invisible all around you? Jesus said to the Pharisees who didn't, he said, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and dish, but on the inside you're full of greed and self-indulgence. Jesus ministers in the invisible places, what the Bible calls the spirit. And church, we must grasp, it's more real than the visible. 
This is why you can't solve the world's problems by making laws or dropping bombs or manipulating economics or, or even by educating people. All those things are necessary and good, but they can't fix the root of the problem, which is invisible. It's sin. It's the sinful nature. It's what is happening in the realms of the spirit. Only God can do that. Only Jesus can. And what our great need for uh, is for is for a high priest who goes through the invisible places, the heavens, as Hebrews calls them, and transforms us from the inside out. You know, our, our nation is struggling. But our nation's struggles are not because of a particular set of laws or elected officials or anything like that. Our nation's struggles are because of what's happening in our spirit, because of the condition of our spirit. John Adams, one of our nation's founding fathers, said this. He said, it is religion and morality alone, invisible spiritual things, which can establish the principles upon which our freedom can stand. Our constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. A people who understand the reality of the invisible. It is wholly inadequate to the governing of any other. In this time in our world, dear friends, we the followers of Jesus must be the people most focused on the invisible instead of the visible. That's where Jesus is focused in your life and mine. I often meet people who want to solve their problems without surrendering to Jesus. I want help with my marriage, but I don't want to get religious. You know, I want to get my life under control, but I don't want to talk about spiritual things. It's a fool's errand, like trying to stop the weeds in your yard by mowing them. You can't. Either you pull the roots, which are invisible, or the weeds just keep coming back. See, it's the inside of us that must be redeemed and fixed. And that's where Jesus works. He goes through the heavens on our behalf as a high priest. You and I don't need more education. We need a high priest. And that's what Jesus does. Maybe you're trying to solve some problems that you just can't seem to figure out. It's because you're not uh, receiving the fact that the roots of those problems are on the inside, in the invisible. Now, the writer of Hebrews tells us that that's where Jesus works on our behalf. And there's something else he wants us to know about Jesus as he works on our behalf. He says in verse 15, hear this, friends. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are and yet was without sin. In other words, Jesus knows how you and me feel. He knows how we struggle with temptation. And he knows how we feel when we fail. More than knowing, he sympathizes. You want to understand some background here? In those days, there were two beliefs about God and sympathy. First, there were the Stoics who believed that the primary attribute of God was his immunity to sympathy. They called it in Greek apatheia, which, from which we get the English word apathy. And they said, God is beyond feeling because they believed that anyone who could have their feelings aroused came under the control of whoever or whatever aroused those feelings. This is why Muslims to this day resist and, and hate the gospel because it speaks of a God who feels. So the Stoics believed that God was beyond feeling. Many people are that way today. Many people in our culture who would call themselves agnostics saying, hey, I haven't made a decision about God. They believe that he's beyond feeling. If you believe that, it'll dramatically affect your life. 
There was another group, the Epicureans, who believed that God was always happy, upbeat, positive, and cheerful, kind of like Joel Osteen, you know. They believed that God was completely detached from anything negative. And if you were experiencing something negative, it was because you were detached from him. If you believe that about God, it will dramatically affect your life. But the Christians, the followers of Jesus, believed something very different. They believed that he weeps, that he's a man of sorrows, that he even despairs sometimes. Why do I say that? Because on the cross, what did Jesus cry out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken? We believe in a God who feels and is therefore able to sympathize. He feels for us. No other faith in the world preaches such a God. And what's more, verse 15 tells us that he has been tempted in every way as we are. If you're like me, I hate it when temptation comes. It's uncomfortable. It makes me feel out of sorts. Become, life becomes a struggle when temptation comes. Jesus knows what that feels like. So this person that's operating in a priestly capacity on our behalf sympathizes with us and knows how we feel. The writer of Hebrews wants us to understand that there's a reason. We're going to finish with it in a second. The psalmist puts it this way in Psalm 103, verses 14 and 15. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed and he remembers that we are dust. As a father has compassion on his children, a good father. And so the Lord has compassion on us. Now, church, understand this doesn't mean that God will ignore our weaknesses, our sins, our struggles, any more than you can ignore them in your kids if you love them. No, as a father, he is committed to growing us out of them. But he understands that that's a process and we aren't there yet. And so he keeps picking you up no matter how many times you fall. Proverbs says seven times a righteous man falls and seven times he gets up again. I remember when I was a boy growing up and, and every summer our family would go to chop wood, uh, firewood for the winter. And, and that was an every summer thing and often it would occupy a fair amount of the summer. And I hated it. I can't tell you how much I hated it. The last thing I wanted to do on a gorgeous summer Saturday was go into the woods and, and work till I was sore hauling, you know, firewood and I loathed it. And, and because I hated it so much, I'm sure I was a terrible worker. My attitude was poor. But my dad kept taking me. He kept taking me, kept bringing me. Every time, he didn't at any point ever say, he's no good as a worker, I'm not gonna take him. No, he kept bringing me. And you know, today I look back on that and I am so thankful because it was in those woods that I learned how to work. And that's blessed me for the rest of my life. In the same way, the scripture says, God is patient with us, working with us, understanding that we struggle. He has compassion on it. And, and by the way, the phrase at the end of that verse is important really important for us to grasp. The scripture says, we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way as we are. And hear this, yet was without sin. Now that's incredibly important and incredibly hopeful. The point is that Jesus knows the way to overcome sin. He felt everything we felt, was tempted in every way we are, and yet was able to overcome it. The fact that Jesus was without sin means that he knows and understands it more than anyone else does. 
Foolish people think that the alcoholic is the only one who understands alcoholism. Nothing could be further from the truth. The alcoholic has not resisted the temptation of alcohol to the utmost. But Jesus has. And so he understands how to overcome it because he has defeated it. Alcoholism just being an example. Sin of all kinds. C.S. Lewis wrote about this beautifully. He said, no man knows how bad he is until he has tried very hard to be good. A silly idea is current that good people don't know what temptation means. This is an obvious lie. Only those who resist temptation know how strong it is. After all, you find out the strength of the German army by fighting it, not by giving into it. A man who gives in to temptation after five minutes simply doesn't know what it would have been like an hour later. That is why bad people, in one sense, know very little about badness. They have lived a sheltered life by always giving in. We never find out the strength of the evil impulse in us until we try to fight it. Jesus has, and so he can come to me and teach me how to overcome it. He can show me where it's rooted in the invisible places and then deal with it in the invisible places. That's what our high priest is capable of. He sympathizes with us in our struggles and he knows the way to overcome. And I remember many years ago when I counseled a young man who was struggling with homosexuality. He wanted to follow Jesus and so he wanted to leave this weakness behind him, this sin behind him. Over time, we listened to Jesus together and the Lord showed him how his need to be wanted because of a wound of fatherlessness combined with a habit of pornography to create a lie that trapped him. Today, he's a happily married man with kids and a strong Christian faith. Why? Because he went to Jesus knowing that Jesus sympathized even while he was struggling. And Jesus showed him the way to overcome. That's what he does when we go to him with our struggles. If you're struggling, understand this, God sympathizes with your weakness. And so he encourages you to come to him with it. In fact, the only real mistake you can make is to not go to him with it. And so the scripture says, verse 16, the end of the passage we read, let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Knowing that God sympathizes, let us draw near to him with our struggles. You know, there's certain people in your life that you approach boldly. You approach with confidence because you know that you're welcome. That's why guys who are good friends have all these crazy rituals we go through when we go to one another. You know, we bump bellies and we high five and we insult each other. I like to walk up to a group of my friends and say, hey, it's the losers meeting. You didn't tell me it was happening. You know, and why do we do that kind of stuff? Because we know we are welcome in the hearts of those we're approaching. God is not inviting us to bump bellies with him, but he's inviting us to realize that we are welcome in an intimate way like this. Let us approach God with confidence so that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in your time of need. God wants us to come to him boldly, with confidence. Just Scott has written, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. You know that your name is safe in their mouth. Well, in the same way, your name is safe in God's mouth. Jesus shows us that and invites us to draw near to the Father. He wants you to bring your weakness to him so that he can work in the invisible places inside of you where it's rooted 
and teach you to overcome it. That's what he does. Matt Chandler writes beautifully about this. He says the litmus test for whether or not you know the truth about God is what you do when you fail. Do you run towards him or away from him? Those who know the truth about him draw near when we fail. Now, one caveat before we finish this morning, when we draw near to him, we must call our sin, sin. We can't excuse ourselves from the reality that a Father God wants to make us good and holy people. We must call our sin, sin. Don't justify it. Don't rationalize it. Own it, name it, confess it. That's where the power is found. When you do, you will find him welcoming you and you will encounter his power. The scripture tells us in Titus chapter 2, verses 12 and 13, that the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men in Christ. And it, it that grace, teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. You see, Jesus knows where the power is, so he does his ministry on our behalf in those places, and we experience that when we draw near to him with our struggles. So the writer of Hebrews wants us to grasp that we are welcome to draw near to him in those struggles. You know, um, my favorite story in all the Bible is found in Luke chapter 7. It's the story of a woman who the Bible says had lived a sinful life. We don't know exactly what that means. You know, some have suggested that, you know, perhaps she was a prostitute. Uh, there's no real clear indication in the scripture of what exactly it was. We don't know. We do know this. She was miserable. She didn't like her life. She felt powerless. She knelt behind Jesus, ashamed of herself and wept as she washed his feet. And whatever was going on uh, gave her every reason to believe that she would be rejected by a prophet, by a holy man, by the Son of God because of what had been happening in her life. But what she found out was that the real God was very different than everybody else said. Simon condemned her. Jesus said, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. I wonder if there isn't something in your life that you feel powerless to deal with. Maybe it's your anger, your temper. Maybe it's your fear of what's happening in our world, of what might happen. Maybe it's your tongue. You just can't seem to keep it under control even though you know God warns us that we must learn to. Maybe it's your lust. Maybe nobody knows about it, but you do. And that lust feels overpowering, something that is more than you can overcome. Maybe it's your greed or your insecurity or your depression or your anxiety. Jesus knows where it's rooted. As our high priest, he goes through the heavenly places, the invisible places where it's rooted, and he invites you and I to come to him because he has the power to overcome what you feel powerless over, because he sympathizes with your struggle, because he loves you like a father. And so God invites us to receive him as our high priest. That woman heard amazing words from Jesus. He said to her daughter, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Your simple willingness to come to me has saved you, go in peace. 
God wants that for you and for me. He invites us to experience it. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, we thank you this morning for your word. Jesus, we thank you for being our high priest. We thank you for working on us, not from the outside in, but the inside out. And we thank you for your invitation to draw near, knowing that you sympathize with us in our weakness. Lord, some of us feel powerless over the weaknesses that we struggle with. You invite us to know that you have power over it. We thank you for that. We thank you for making it clear that you sympathize with us and so we can draw near to you with confidence. God, I pray for that person who's listening right now and needs to draw near to you. If that's you, understand that Jesus welcomes you into his presence with your struggle and he can and will set you free. Go to him, confess it. Watch how he reacts. His power can set you free. Lord, we thank you for your word this morning. We pray, God, that as we go out into this week, it would be with an understanding that what you're doing in the invisible is more real than anything we would see around us. And that the day is coming when we step out of this world and into that reality forever. We thank you for that promise. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, friends, great to be with you. Again, we'll be having live in-person services on Sunday. Uh, we're wearing masks, doing social distancing. We can only have 85 people or so in the sanctuary for each service, so we have online sign-ups. Uh, you're invited, though. Come and join us or to continue watching online until you and your family feel comfortable. Uh, we want you to know as well that uh, the fellowship walks, we're, we're kind of uh, putting that behind us now that we're able to gather in person. So uh, no fellowship walks out on the trail anymore. Had a great time doing that with you. Now may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.